Raising the Bar, the podcast that pulls back the curtain on the country's most successful leaders and how they elevate their business and their teams. Please welcome our host, Alison DePauli. Welcome, everyone, to the next edition of Raising the Bar Live, where we talk to CEOs who have raised the bar in their professional lives. It is my pleasure today to introduce you to Paul Santilli, the CEO of SKIP, which is the Strategic Consortium of Intelligence Professionals. And you may be wondering why that has to do with you as a business owner, and you're going to hear all about that today. So, Paul, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much, Allison. It's a pleasure being here today. So we've had a couple of, of conversations er, earlier, um, but I, I think it's important. Our world is changing so fast now, and I, I'm pretty sure that every generation says that, and I feel pretty old saying that. But why is the intelligence narrative so important to you and to Skip and, and to the community in general? Well, great question, Allison. Thanks for kicking that off, because this is a, a fundamental thought process, I think that organizations and individuals as a whole really need to uh, need to grasp onto. And the reason being is that, as many folks know, the intelligence, um, competitive intelligence uh, discipline has been around for decades, and it's been instrumental in helping organizations compete in the marketplace. Well, what I think happened recently is uh, the, the advent of this pandemic and the outcome of the pandemic has really amplified and shown organizations just how unprepared they are, especially from a digital transformations perspective. A lot of organizations were caught um, exposed without having a lot of ability to adjust to the environment around them and came to the realization that the data-driven environment, i.e. the intelligence-driven environment, is one that's super critical for, for organizations to succeed. So I've talked many times around these three concepts that that the, the pandemic or what I call perpetual disruption will usually um, uh, illustrate in organizations. One of them is called amplify. I call these the three A's. One of them being amplify. It'll amplify your business value proposition and your strengths and weaknesses in the organization. Uh, it could be on your infrastructure, your digital transformation abilities, your uh, nimbleness of the organization and so forth. Secondly, it's the ability to accelerate your value proposition, um, where the, tra the, the, the uh, trajectory of your value proposition is going and how well you are prepared to meet these challenges going forward and being able to adapt to certain concepts within the marketplace. And thirdly, the, the third A is around augmentation and your ability to augment your product and services portfolio to really fit the needs of this constantly changing um, business and client customer relationship. So I think what this uh, pandemic has really done is exposed organizations in these, area, in these three A's uh, areas and has required organizations to take a hard look at their infrastructure, the IT infrastructure, the use of data, especially in today's world where everything is data-driven, and use that data to drive an intelligence behavior within those organizations that allows them to become much more in tune with changing climate, uh, changing customer needs, changing business conditions, and having their organizations adapt accordingly. So I think it's been extremely important, especially from a digital transformation element. It's been extremely important for organizations to realize that. And you'll witness that through a lot of um, uh, titles in organizations. You see chief data officers, chief yeah. intelligence officers, things like that, realizing the need for this uh, capability within the organization. 
So I think that the need is quite broad, right? I don't know an organization that doesn't need intelligence in order to be competitive. What are the fundamental components of an intelligence-based organization? Well, there's a few. I mean, I could go and speak hours on this topic alone because it's it's a pretty in-depth um, uh, topic, so to speak. But you know, you need to, you need an intelligence organization that's integrated and and um, uh, entrenched in the culture of the company. I mean, you need this to be a horizontal function such that the intelligence actually is pulled from all different organizations uh, within, the, within the company. Um, you need to have this intelligence function that's integrated, as I say, to the, the strategy and the culture of the organization. Many times uh, intelligence uh, activities and functions and organizations are relegated to kind of a corner unit siloed base that maybe reports into the marketing or sales organization. That is a, a, a traditional and, and a very um, uh, inappropriate place to put intelligence. It needs to be ingrained into the whole culture and actually ingrained into the, the executive and leadership decision-making capabilities and the strategy itself. So it's really got to be something that's part of the organizational DNA so that it becomes a data-driven organization through intelligence. If you look at the intelligence value chain, which is how I call it, you have data that drives intelligence, that drives insights, that drives execution and an outcome. That value chain is integral to the success of an organization. And, and it's all around this intelligence and data-driven perspective that helps organizations compete and help to satisfy customer needs. Can you talk a little bit about the best way to evolve from siloing intelligence into bringing it to the organization as a whole? Yeah, so, so a lot has to do with organizational structure. Um, flatter organizations, obviously, quicker decision-making, but it's the ability to pull intelligence from all different areas. You know, traditionally, intelligence has been looked at as more of, you know, siloed in a competitive intelligence sort of nomenclature or lexicon. And what I'm trying to do is to use that competitive intelligence core foundation and open it up to what I call the intelligence ecosystem. And that's really talking about the intelligence that comes from human intelligence. It could be product intelligence, R&D intelligence, financial intelligence, so forth and so on within an organization that needs to pull all of that together to have a comprehensive intelligence model, ideally real time, you know, because our world changes so quickly and our ability to pull this together and act upon this intelligence will differentiate that organization, a successful organization from other organizations that don't know how to use that and how to, how to frame it up. Let's, let me, let me, let's use an example from my world and maybe we can frame this for people. So in my world, data has been very unavailable or opaque or you get part of the data but you don't get the whole thing and you certainly don't get enough to do any predictive analytics or any really true understanding of what's driving your cost you know i'm in the health insurance health health care space and you know health care and health insurance are not the same thing health care is health care right that's how we take care of the humans health insurance is just how you finance it right it's, one has nothing to do with the other only now are we starting to see great analytics tools come into the market so that we can say, okay, this is what you had, this is what's coming, this is where you benchmark against a small, medium, and large population, but it is a cultural change. Yes, it is. 
and, and, and some, some people are like, oh, we don't want to know. We don't want to know. You can know. We don't want to know. And others are like, wait, how do I get my hands on that? How much does it cost? When can I do it? How do you course. kind of bridge that gap? Because I imagine that both kinds of people exist in any organization. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the, the challenges I think we have as, as intelligence and data professionals is to really bridge that gap. I mean, you, you brought up a good point about, you know, healthcare versus the financial aspects around health, health insurance and stuff like that. Um, the, the ability for us to, to gather and, and mine and scrape the, the data fields and mine better data is, is truly because of the fact that we are in a huge data populated world, right? I mean, that's the whole reason why artificial intelligence is becoming in such fruition today because two, two capabilities. One, the availability of data, which we never had in the past, and two, yep. is the compute power of our technology. And when you have those things to, two things together, you can provide real-time, almost real-time AI-type solutions. And now we need to remember, AI is a tool. That's a tool that's in your toolbox. And you yep. use that tool to mine and hopefully decipher the vast amounts of data to bring those golden nuggets to the surface that you can act upon. Okay. Now, you have those individuals, as you mentioned, that are wanting to gather that new information to, to understand how to frame this up for the future. And then you have the other folks that are saying, oh man, I'd rather just kind of stay the, stay the course yep. and keep things the way they are. And I don't want to get outside of my box. You know, I, I hear that a lot in the intelligence community as well, especially when I talk about this intelligence ecosystem. Um, in order to effectively compete in the marketplace today and tomorrow, there's no, no such thing as returning to normalcy. Normalcy is not going to exist. Normalcy is what I call is, is a constant or a perpetual state of disruption. It could be a minor disruption like a flat tire in your delivery truck, or it could be major disruptions like wars or pandemics or typhoons and things like this. You cannot have an organization in today's world who ignore these sorts of impacts to your business model without suffering the consequences. I mean, history is wrought with just in the last 10, 20 years, the number of organizations that have failed to see this sort of behavior coming across and you know put their heads in the sand because I don't understand it and I don't wanna know about it because I feel comfortable in this box. And you can't operate that way in today's world. And this is where the criticality around the data-driven intelligence operations, the ability to mold your company in such a way that it reacts effectively to the, the signals that come out of your intelligence and your organization is structured to be nimble enough to pivot into an environment that's favorable to the customer as well as favorable to your infrastructure requirements. I found that those things are um, often not mutually exclusive, that typically what's, what's right for the organization is what's right for the customer is often right for the organization long-term, but maybe not short-term. Has your experience been the same? Yeah, it's, it depends, I think, on, you know, obviously the, 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 the um, products or services you're offering, the scope of what you're doing, you know, local companies versus global companies, they have different uh, implications associated with this. But I think in the long run, you really need to look at, you know, bottom line is customer's king, right? You need to really look at how do you best satisfy customer's needs. Now, organizations historically you know when you get done with a program and the customer's happy and everyone's patting themselves on the back when you turn around you see a lot of dead bodies that you had to go through in order to get to that success factor with the customer right yep. i use that metaphor and that analogy quite often because you have to have an organization that's run efficiently and 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 effectively in order to keep your cost models in place so that you can satisfy these customers on an ongoing basis rather than a one and done sort of thing 
And that's why I think we need to be very careful on is that not only satisfying the customer needs, but how did we get there? What's the process? How many dead bodies do we have behind us in getting to that point? Can you talk a little bit about, I think there's often a, a perception that, you know, competitive intelligence is really only available to extremely large employers, but most employers have, I mean, I think the average employee size is 19. So many employers have 50, 80, 200 employees. I think that competitive intelligence is almost more important for them than for the big guys. There's a, there's absolutely a need for intelligence and in startups incubation areas, uh, smaller entrepreneurial type behaviors. I've been engaged with many, many uh, organizations in that, but I've also been engaged in the Fortune 100, Fortune 50 companies by which, you know, surprisingly, many of these larger companies have very small intelligence organizations. Now, the, the uh, misnomer that I want to kind of clear the air on is that we need to not have people with an intelligence in their title as only being the intelligence people. Anybody in organizations have mm -hmm. a inherent intelligence requirement and, and, and behavior and, and role to provide to, to the centralized organization. So, you know, if you're going to look and try to satisfy a customer need, are you going to go research only on the customer and, and the business and everything else without talking to your sales organizations or without talking to your, to your backend operations or anything like that? No. So these people have a ton of intelligence that you need to pull together. And we all have that sort of intelligence job title inherently in our in our position in our role so that's that's an important concept to note do you think that the um popularity maybe is a better way to, to say it of ai tools and the availability of large language model data sets is a competitive advantage for a smaller or mid-sized employer in today's environment i highly stress for smaller organizations or larger organizations to use tools to in order for them to process, analyze, acquire, analyze, and process data. So absolutely, the answer to your question is yes, a resounding yes. Um, AI-driven tools that can not only collect, analyze, and provide solution sets, but also are predictive and prescriptive in nature. And that's the key part there, the prescriptive. Predictive is coming into, into play with Foresight's uh, abilities but it's the prescriptive. What do we do about it? How do we behave? You know, this is an expansion of what we call in the, in the industry, this is scenario planning uh, situations where manually you would do these things, you know, have a dozen or so scenarios that you would play out and understand, you know, what if, you know, in this, in this sort of a, of a playground. AI tools and with horsepower, compute horsepower, you can do hundreds if not thousands of these what if simulations all, all, all together and that would only take minutes. And this helps you understand what you need to do and, you know, probability wise and the prescriptive nature of things. So that is uh, a, a long answer to your question around, yes, it definitely needs AI capabilities yeah. to help support. So we use AI tools here as much as we can. <laughs> I use AI tools as much as I can. I found them to be, if you ask the right question, and there's some art to that, to figuring that out, what it, what you will get back is remarkable. And in my experience, it's never a finished product. You still have to go back in and you have to check what information they give you or verify what information they give you. And you might have to clean up the writing and you need to make it your own a little bit, but it has been a remarkable tool for us. Is, is the prescriptive part what disturbs people so much? Is that what they're afraid of? Oh, well, there's a couple of things I want to comment on for what you just asked. Um, the prescriptive part is more of a, 
uh, it's a challenge because there's so many what ifs out there, you know, it's trying to predict the unpredictable. Uh, and that's always a challenge, but I, I want to get back to the part about how the AI tools can help influence and help develop your needs and, and so forth. But what we have to be careful on is when we start talking about, you know, generative AI sort of capabilities, um, we need to understand that those AI capabilities are, are usually based off of all the content that resides on the internet, for example. And, and as you get outputs from the internet, you're only going to get as good of an output as what the input was. Yep. So you have, you know, the GIGO garbage in garbage out sort of scenarios, but moreover, you have the aspect of introducing bias. Yep. And regardless of which, whether you're trying to minimize or try to design out the effects of bias, it's it's there's hundreds of different types of biases that you need to take into consideration. And and these become somewhat of a um, controversial topic to talk about in terms of what is bias and what is fact and what is truth. And I don't want to get into that conversation. That's a whole nother podcast we can do. Yes, but it is. The, the bottom line is really understanding how these tools can aid you in getting to a certain point, but you have to apply the human intelligence. You have to apply that sort of, of differentiation, that uniqueness that, that, that yields you the result to fit your narrative. I mean, of course, I mean, that's how it all boils down to. Yes. And what about evolving your narrative? Because I think when you, when you, when you can access the huge quantity of data that is available, when you're, when you are looking to research or looking to learn something, what are your best strategies for for filtering that? Because you do have to filter it in some way; otherwise, you'd just be under this mound of data. Yes. yes. So, so I'm a big advocate of. Um, triangulation basically you're getting multiple sources of content uh to validate substantiate or maybe maybe uh you know invalidate the mm -hmm. findings of others because you'll have many organizations this is a competitive practice that happens all the time you have your your basic uh, organization that will will publish information uh that's wrong purposely to make you go in a different direction that happens all the time so you know, I'm never one to say, you know, certainly one data point is a data point, but you shouldn't base your, your major decisions on a one data point scenario. You need to triangulate uh, multiple locations, a uh, third party, unbiased, um, so forth and so on, to make sure you can validate and have more credibility into that data that would allow you to make the, the decision making process uh, that much more um, believable and realistic. And sound. So how has SKIP and the concept of the intelligence consortium, how does it fulfill the needs of the intelligence community? And, and by intelligence community, we're not talking about spies running around in trench coats. We're talking about people who need to make decisions every day. It's, that's a great question. I'm glad you brought that up. And I, you know, speaking of the spy thing, I tell people I'm in the intelligence business. They say, oh, you're for the, with the CIA? And I'm like, no, I'm not with the CIA. We have people as part of the consortium uh, and from government, uh, three-letter acronyms, as I, as they like to say, or three-letter names. But anyhow, um, the the to to your point, this the whole concept. We changed the name to consortium, the strategic consortium of intelligence professionals, and that's a a very important concept to understand because the the intelligence ecosystem, as I talk about, is is more broad, much more depth than a traditional competitive intelligence format. Now, by all means. I want to make sure everyone is very clear on understanding that the competitive intelligence foundation tools, win loss and Portis five forces and scenario planning and all the kinds of things that are part of that competitive intelligence foundational toolbox is absolutely intact with skip. We have 
hundreds, if not thousands, literally thousands of assets, best practices, tools, templates, PPT files that relate to encrypting the intelligence professional with the necessary skill sets they need to be effective intelligence professionals within their organization. We're building on top of that as part of this consortium to include other intelligence disciplines around human intelligence and social intelligence, economic intelligence. Think of it this way. You, we live in this big, large data environment that I, you know, data is boundless, it's edgeless, it's, it's pervasive in everything we do today. By definition, data drives intelligence. Mm -hmm. So through association, theoretically speaking, intelligence is literally all around us in the same way. Now, if we use that as an ecosystem that is part of the consortium model, then the consortium is really pulling in all of these different intelligence-related functions around AI, tool sets, and innovation, entrepreneurialism. Um, we have a big program within the sustainability and social responsibility elements of how we're building up how to use intelligence to improve uh, infrastructure in developing countries, sanitation systems, water supplies, uh, natural habitat and woodlands, things of that nature. We have, um, we're building these intelligence centers of excellence around the globe. There'll be dozens of them in the next year that we'll be focusing on what we call these ITT, intelligence think tanks, that'll be looking at the intelligence needs of those local communities around the world. We'll have them in Europe and Asia and Africa and so forth. We're establishing partnerships, what we call affiliates, with a number of organizations around the world that bring in other perspectives in the intelligence ecosystem that's part of this consortium feel. And the cool thing about this is it's all happening global. I mean, it's, this is something we're building upon this foundation we have and pulling this consortium concept into play on a global, global basis. So it's very exciting. I'm very passionate about it. And I think it's really going to make an impact. I think it will. And I, I think it's what I, what I just took from that is that, yes, this is a global activity for you, but intelligence is still local to a certain extent. And you need that local feel and that local experience as well. You're right. And the cool thing about that is that you can't have an intelligence model that's, uh, that's cookie cutter and fit it. And it's going to fit one, one cutout and it's going to fit in 50 other locations. This is the whole concept around these centers of excellence right. where we have these intelligence locations in Eastern Europe and in Africa and Asia and Japan and India and so forth that have localized needs around their intelligence community so that you get a customized bespoke solution set that yep. fits theirs. That's different from the U S that's different from Argentina. That's different from um, Ireland for example. Yep. And this is where you have to bring that together. And that's the power of the consortium where you can get this localized concept to bring it all together. And you have a tremendous powerful opportunity here to really change, change the, change the world. We like to call it intelligence for the betterment of people and planet. And that's really how we want to put a foundation in place. I think what you're doing is remarkable. What would be your, before we wrap up your best piece of advice for an employer with between 100 and 500 employees to enhance their intelligence. So I, I share this these these thoughts. Obviously, I can go into my sales pitch, but I'm not going to do that. It's, it's essentially <laughs> the realization that understanding that data and the intelligence approaches is an absolute must in organizations. It's not a nice to have. It's a must have. 
you need to have a culture and a uh, infrastructure that supports this intelligence mind and have it driven by executive leadership and and CXOs uh, of the organization to fully engage and grasp the concept around a data-driven intelligence and data-driven decision-making in order to be successful. And once you have an organization that's centered on that sort of concept, I think the rest of the the execution and and, and, um, um, outcomes, the business outcomes that get get generated from that is, is the next things that happen almost in a production-like environment. So it's it's critical for the engagement of the C-suite and the business leadership to, to really internalize this. And I think bring it all the way down to the rank and file. Absolutely. Staff. Yeah. It's got to be ingrained in the cor- corporate DNA and the culture. You know, that's how, how it boils down to. And I think we'll leave it there today. So if you, we will leave it at intelligence is for everybody in your organization not just the sales and marketing folks and not just the finance folks but for everybody to help you compete on a bigger level thank you for joining us today i always appreciate you if you liked the episode leave a review give us a share or a thumbs up it helps us spread the word and we will see you next time paul thank you for joining us i really appreciate it it's been a pleasure thank you for having me We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Raising the Bar is powered by Altique Consulting, the country's leading independent expert in healthcare cost containment. Astute employers know there's a better way to offer health insurance, and we help them achieve it.